Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak. I'm here with Derek Marshall. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing really well. How's it going, Josh? Very good. And I'm torn because I know you're in the thick of things with your primary coming up. And I want to know about how things went. I'm going to start by asking about how things went, unless there's really big updates. Totally. No, we can talk about it. Yeah. So basically, the last time we were on here, I committed to basically doing a month. Ah, uh, before you say what you committed to. Oh, sure. I want to make sure you, t I asked you what the environment meant to you. And I always want to go back to the, what's the intrinsic motivation and everyone jumps to the thing. I think that we're conditioned to do that. And usually you think about what you did, but my whole focus is on this intrinsic. And so do you remember what you talked about that when I asked you what you thought about when you thought about the environment? To be honest, I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm I'm sure that the answer had something to do with with us as human beings being in symbiosis with the planet and feeling like a lot of our our systems and a lot of our infrastructure and a lot of the the ways that we are evolving and developing as a species seems to be not in symbiosis, at least with a a healthy planet slash in terms of creating an environment that long-term will be able to sustain even human existence if we keep going in the way that we're going. I think I remember you saying things like that. And then I would have said, what about you? That's abstract. It's like, that's not, you don't have a personal experience of that. Do you remember? So I would have nudged you to ask, do you have personal experiences of these things? Like you interacting with your senses activated. Absolutely. And I, I think now my memory is starting to be, be jogged a little bit. So I think probably what I then talked about was talking about the pandemic and how clean the air was. So walking outside and seeing how blue uh, the skies looked over Joshua Tree during the pandemic when people were not driving as much. And actually, it's interesting because this past weekend, I was out canvassing, knocking doors for the campaign for about four or five hours on Saturday. And when I got home, you can hear it right now, I'm like a little bit a little bit congested. But when I got home, the air quality index was at 105. And so it was not very healthy. And I was like, oh, this actually tracks. This actually makes sense why I would be feeling this way. And so I think personally, at the personal level, it's clean air. It's clean water. It is not having trash everywhere. Uh, there's a component of just having a pristine, healthy, clean environment that we can enjoy and that we can play in, that we can live in without it detracting from our, the general healthy mechanisms of our human bodies. And now that you mentioned the blue sky, I was thinking of Yellowstone. I think you, and you mentioned Joshua Tree a bunch, but when you said the blue skies, I remembered that because we don't have, yes, the sky's blue here, but we don't see stars. There's very few of them. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. The, everyone talks about, we should have clean water and so forth. And we should, I agree. That cough that you just, that we actually heard, we just heard was, to me, more poignant because every, all this abstract stuff, people disengage with I, I find that people disengage with it. They say it, but it doesn't lead to action. And everyone says, oh, we have to wait until something affects us. And yet it's there already. I think we're disconnected from it. And one of my big purposes for this podcast and, and my book upcoming and uh, my mission is for people to connect with their experience with nature and to act on that because that personal experience, I think, is in our hearts, unique for everyone. But if we don't get that out there, I can talk about Bangladesh is going to be underwater, but 
Now, for people in Bangladesh, that's very important. For people who have family there or have connections there, that's very important. But for the rest of us, that's this abstract thing all the way over there. And we think, well, I'll wait until it affects me. And it's already affecting us, I think. And, but we protect ourselves from sharing those things. We, it makes us vulnerable to say that we're vulnerable. It literally is vulnerable. <laughs> anyway, so then I said, I invited you to think of something to act on that. And that's where, so I cut you off to to get the background. What did you commit to? Uh, totally. So I committed to being as packaging free as possible. And I think part of the reason for that is that we have a lot of trash here in the high desert. And you see, I mean, this afternoon, as we were uh, doing some, uh, some filming outdoors, we were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nature. And suddenly this uh, stater bros bag, plastic bag started rolling almost like tumbleweed across the, where we were filming. And, and it was a very impactful moment for me. And I think that when the commitment that I had made before was talking about packaging, and I think part of that was because of all the, the trash that we see up here. I'm curious, one, how you felt when you saw it, what emotions you felt. You said impact, and I'm curious specifically what. And then I'm also curious how things went with your shopping. Yeah. So when I saw the bag, it just, it made me, it just made me feel very sad. And it's, yeah, it, it just made me feel sad to see pollution out in nature. And we immediately grabbed it and, and took it with us. And it's just, yeah, it's really sad to see how much pollution and, and trash there is all around us, how much plastic that we're consuming that works our way or works its way into our, into our systems, into our, into our bloodstreams in some cases right now. In, in all, I think more than just some. Yeah. I, I want to ask now on the, if there's a spectrum at one end is feeling very empowered and at one end feeling powerless at seeing that plastic, did you feel more toward one end or another end of that? Did you feel, because a lot of people feel, I think a lot of people feel powerless. Yeah. Um, I fall sort of in the middle of both. Right. Because I think what needs to happen in order to make moments like that with this, uh, this rolling stater bros bag to go away is I think that we need, we need policy. And I think that there's a classic example from a couple of years ago when California banned uh, single use plastic bags. This stater bros bag is, from what I understand, technically not considered to be a single use plastic bag, but when they banned the single-use plastic bags, instantaneously beaches. They took a picture from one month to a couple of months later, and they saw beaches that normally would be covered with these you know, single-use plastics were suddenly uh, a lot cleaner. And so I think that there's a piece of me which says, okay, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of our social ills come down to, to policy choices and the way that we're organizing our society through politics and so on the one hand, running for Congress and being someone that is looking to be involved in the political system, I, do, I feel empowered because I do and have seen uh, the power of people when we come together to be able to affect really important change. On the other hand, I feel, I feel relatively powerless because I'm nervous about what, and, and maybe it's the, the powerlessness is a, a temporal feeling of power, powerlessness. Because I sort of understand that it's going to take uh, some time and it's going to take a lot of energy and it's going to take a lot of organizing before that stops. So there is a, a time component to it. And I think that maybe 
feeling a little bit powerless is kind of saying a situation like this is where we're not seeing this anymore is probably four or five, 10 years down the road in terms of understanding like how we need to build coalitions of people to advocate to then get the policy passed in order to prevent the stater vote grows bag floating in the desert. I hope some people use me as a role model because it took me two years, just under three years to reduce my use by over 90% and find it joyful. I, I think that this, the joy, I, I think people view it as sacrifice and it's really joyful. How, how what was your experience of shopping? How, how did that go? Yeah. So it was interesting because on the one hand, I sort of recognized, and, and this actually came up pretty quickly. I recognize that there's actually a lot of the shopping or a lot of the things that I'm consuming through the, the campaign are actually coming, you know, from other folks that are doing, they're buying signs and a lot of our events and stuff like that are being prepared by, by volunteers or campaign staff. And so. I guess that the kind of first component was, okay, so a lot of my own personal consumption, whether it be like sitting down to eat uh, a burger or whether it be sitting down to even have some water at a campaign event, a lot of that is coming from from processes that are um, external to my individual process. And I have a really good friend, Julia Posen, I will name her, who's a fantastic environmentalist and a friend of mine who actually wrote me and wrote the campaign a, uh, a long email uh, with kind of a gentle nudge of saying, hey, these are a list of things that the campaign could be more mindful of. And it was a moment for me of clarity and a moment of, okay, yes, there's other things that we can, that we can be looking out for in terms of like potentially purchasing branded water bottles or bringing old water bottles, having a cooler that we can bring to different campaign events as opposed to having plastic bottles and just making sure that the water uh, is filled. And then whenever we're having volunteer evenings, making sure that we're using the ceramic plates or using plates and using cutlery as opposed to using napkins and, and things that we can throw away and stuff like that. And so I thought that was very interesting. And then in terms of, for me personally, going to the supermarket, I found it to be interesting in the sense that there were definitely, there were some things that it was easy. So a lot of times I go to shop the closest and nearest and cheapest supermarket to me is Aldi. And so I, I went to Aldi and, and the thing that's great about Aldi, which is German owned supermarket, is that you come in and they have a, a lot of boxes uh, that they have before you. And you can just pick up these boxes and you just put your their cardboard boxes, uh, recycled cardboard boxes, and you can just put uh, things in there. And so that was that's pretty pretty awesome because you can just go and grab your you know fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. So do I understand that it's the boxes that stuff was delivered in? They put it out for others to use. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so it's reusing an old one. Yeah, it's reusing an old box. So it's box that uh, things come in. And then it was interesting because then I was like, all right, so I've got my box and I've done great, right? So I walked in the first aisle or the first like part is fruits and vegetables. So great, no problem. But then what about chips, right? Like if you want to get, if you want to pick up some, some chips and salsa, if you're going to have a, a campaign event and then realizing, wait a minute, the chips come in a, a plastic, they come in a plastic bag. What about if you want peanut butter or almond butter? And then realizing, okay, there's some, there's some containers. I don't think at Aldi that come in glass. Other areas come in glass. 
but there are some some places where it comes about, but generally there's a container that holds it. Same thing with eggs. Now, technically I could take the egg carton and empty it and then go back and use one of their cart <laughs> basically empty the eggs out of the cartons, but there wasn't there's not a there's not a place for eggs to be done. And and so what I found, at least within some of the supermarkets that are closest to me and, and most convenient, was that it was relatively difficult to even try to source the majority of the things that I would purchase that would be free from packaging. You remind me of about 10 years ago when I was when I challenged myself to go for a week without buying any packaged food and some of these challenges of, for example, there's a peanut butter grinder. It has peanuts and you can put your own, well, they have little plastic containers there that most people use. And I think I mentioned this last time that I had to realize that if I didn't bring my container, I couldn't get peanut butter because I'm not going to get a new one. But sometimes, how do I know that? Because I went there and forgot and had to, all right, no peanut butter at the time. And yeah, it's, it's on the one hand, it's hard. On the other hand, we lived without plastic for hundreds of thousands of years. It shouldn't be impossible. And it's this challenge that in principle, a lot of people, like people just shy away from it or they just say, oh, it's impossible. And I'm wondering if with the campaign, on the non-personal side, but the professional side, do you feel like there's a tension between if you don't do what is the easiest thing to do, then it's going to hurt the campaign. But if you do these, th if, but also if you don't, then you don't want pollution to be a big part of what makes your campaign work. I would think, I'm not sure. This is a, that's a question. Yeah, for sure. I think that there is also a class component to the conversation as well. And a lot of times, and what I mean specifically is that sometimes it's a lot cheaper to be able to just go and to get certain types of, of things over other things. And with our campaign, trying to be a good steward of resources in certain particular contexts, there's a calculus that goes into to being a good steward of donations that are received. So that's that's on the one side. I think that a lot of that can be made up for particularly, and one of the things that I love to do with this campaign is I really encourage home cooking because a lot of times the most economical and best steward of resources and also the most enriching is just cooking at home and using cutlery and stuff like that. And so tonight, actually, I'll be having a bunch of Wednesday nights at my place is a night for, for people to come and to organize and generally involves local volunteers that come to cook. And then everyone just kind of eats. So that's like one way to go against the economic, uh, economic considerations. The, the other component to it or the other uh, point that I wanted to make is that sometimes there's a, with regards to, let's say going shopping at organic food stores or going to Whole Foods or going to, to, to certain stores that have, that have basically been able to come up with organic healthy food or, or better packaging, again, there's a cost component. And so sometimes it's not accessible. And for example, in our region, we don't have, I think that there's only one or two, there's only a handful of organic markets in the entire district for three, four hours and in all sorts of different directions. And so it's very difficult to have that organic whole food experience. And at least within the district, there's something that's super accessible. And yeah. How can that be? When I think of California, I think of the produce is amazing. And I envy 
how it's it's water in the desert, sadly, but the result is the most amazing produce. And every time we shop at something that is not local, we're funding the squeezing out of the local. And if we, everyone talks about the cost. And of course, if you, if your business model externalizes a lot of costs, you can make your thing cheaper for the person at the cash register. But 500 years from now, the our bloodstreams are still going to have in them this plastic, or it'll still be breaking down and entering our bloodstreams. I also wonder if there's a, if what seems to be a challenge can also be made into a competitive advantage. I think of a guest I had on the podcast. He's actually a retired Marine Corps general, Paul Van Riper. He was famous because in 2002, they brought, they asked him to come out of retirement to do this thing called the millennium challenge. And it was, this red team, blue team thing where the blue team was the U S military using this new technique of like all the super advanced technology. And they asked him to come out to play a rogue dictator who was challenging and he was severely underpowered he was like the big underdog. And it was supposed to test the new mentality of the military, but also just to prove that they were right. And so they asked him to come in as this underdog and there's a whole story to it. But when the games begin, he mopped up the floor with them. He completely, utterly destroyed them. Not utterly, but he, like he, within 10, 20 minutes, he had swamped them. And he was completely like, it's like total David and Goliath. So I had him on the podcast. If you, you can read about him. There's lots of stories. And they talk about all these techniques that he did of, because they could read all of his messages because they had the technology to do that. So he would send messages by light, blinking lights and by motorcycle and things like that. And Lots of things that he did. So I asked him something that was not in any of the interviews. I was really happy that he shared this with me on the podcast. I said, how did you come up with all those things? Because he was presented as a genius. And he said, I didn't come up with them. I created a team and I worked with them and we all had our interests aligned and I enabled them to come up with the ideas so that they could solve. But I didn't think he might have said he didn't come up with any of the ideas. They came up with them. And that was leadership for him was to create a team and motivate them, get interests aligned so that when they could think about things that would work, and they did all these things that the whole U.S. military did not think of. And this is one of my big models of, one, how technology, like last time you were talking a, a fair amount about, we got to switch over to all these new technologies, which history has shown that every time, it's like that Simpson episode when there was they visit Australia, I think, and like one animal kept eating, the, they kept bringing more and more animals to eat the other animals. And not realizing that like, this is getting worse, they're exacerbating the problem every time. And we're doing the same thing. And whereas everyone talks about, we can learn from indigenous cultures who are living sustainably and we don't learn from them. Like we feel like we should teach them to be like us, but I think we can really learn from them, which is what Van Riper did, the general. So it, I'm not in your situation. I don't know your team. I don't know the, what's possible, what's not possible. But certainly listeners couldn't see me nodding when you said that the home cooking, because I think that's something that would engage people more, not less. And when I go to farmer's markets, one of my big tricks to get really cheap vegetables is to get to be, go to the same stands and be friends with them. And then they give me free vegetables and it's tough to compete with free. And they're happy to, because I give them feedback on how delicious it is. And they're like, oh, I'll try these. And so I think that there's, I'm not there. I'm not running for office. I don't know what the situation's like, 
but I can't help but wonder if engaging the team to live by its values could, what's the word, make them more enthusiastic and more engaged than it's the exact opposite of like, oh man, we got to deal with that chips and salsa. I don't know if I'm reading it too much. No, no. I mean, I think that's definitely, I think it's a good point. And I think that there's always, maybe not necessarily like black or white or, or one way, one way or another sort of way to get there. But I like the idea of slowly starting to introduce some of the, the changes, certainly within the team culture that helps to kind of shift things. Yeah, I'll be curious if I, you're the first person I'm talking to, I think about this in this way of suggesting or proposing engaging a team to flip the script and say, how is this going to be our strength? Oh, now I got to go to California and join your team. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's important. Sustainability, it, it is really important, particularly in this moment. And so it really behooves us to actually live our values. Yeah. And I think it's a good, it's a good kind of like moral compass and guideline of where we need to strive to get to, particularly when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to the things that we're trying to solve for. And I think that you mentioned before indigenous practices, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that our district used to have the Owens River Valley, which is classic, classic story of the indigenous Paiutes that used to uh, irrigate uh, large swaths of their territory up there, the Owens River Valley. And they irrigated it for, for hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds of years. And then we came in and we built this aqueduct that takes all their water <laughs> and sends it to Los Angeles. And we call that progress. Yeah. And there aren't any, there's not any clear, immediate answers for some of the, the devastation that we have historically wrought. But I think that there's definitely room for an awareness of, okay, well, there were solutions that were working for a long, long time, and we need to revisit some of these solutions and have, yeah, and have folks involved with the campaign, Indigenous Voices, for example, Conservation Voices. That pattern you described is what I think of when someone says biodegradable plastic or electric vehicle, I'm thinking, I, I prefer it to non-biodegradable plastic. I prefer it to an in internal combustion engine car, but I don't prefer it to how humans lived happily, sustainably, stably. I think a lot of people feel like if we don't progress with progress in quotes, then we'll revert back to the stone age and 30 being old age, which is not the case. It, 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 the more I learn about, I'm really fascinated by in, indigenous cultures, especially my, I started with the San Bushmen in Southern Africa and the Hadza in, in Tanzania, but then braiding sweetgrass in the, in North America and how much we have to learn from them. They were so much more resilient than we are. And they would live for hundreds of thousands of years. We're like one one thousandth of that time and we're seriously at risk of extinction. I don't think extinction, but there are scientists who are saying it. I don't think just to get attention, like, it, it seems plausible. And we got to stop making these. I, I believe we should be like these aqueducts taking water. Yeah. It's not like the water was just sitting there, just waiting to be diverted. What were the emotions like when you're shopping 
or when you were the whole emotional journey from when our last conversation, you committed to doing it to, oh, it's different at work than you expected, or maybe some things you were surprised by. And then with the tumble. I think there's an element of guilt and there's an element of wanting to provide, right? So like understanding like, okay, like some of my volunteers, who am I to, to tell that there's like certain types of chips or certain types of food that oh, you shouldn't like this because it's not good for you, right? And that's an individual journey for for a lot of people. And so I'm caught in lots of different sort of situations because on the one hand, there's the fun uncle part of me, which is like, oh, I want to give my nephew a chocolate chip cookie, right? And then the other side of me, which is like, oh, but the chocolate chip cookie is probably not the thing that's healthiest for him at the individual level. And kind of extrapolating that to volunteers, like I want my volunteers to be happy. I want my high school and, and college volunteers to be happy. And they like pizza. And so it's kind of taking that and then applying it to the campaign. And it's just painting the picture of showing up from the farmer's market with carrots and broccoli that <laughs> to share with your high school volunteers. There is the potential of a disconnect. And so there's a lot of like... There's feelings of guilt, there's feelings of confusion, of wanting to do the right thing, and also balancing, trying to keep everyone happy. And so sometimes <laughs> that confusion. And so what I try to do personally, and this is just a rule I generally have, is I try to be very flexible with myself. And so there's no hard and fast rules, or, or let's say few hard and fast rules of life. I try to do the best thing in every moment that kind of balances a complex sort of situations of meeting people where they're at, staying, staying as sustainable as possible and having some flexibility there, but always at least having the consciousness and the question of, am I in this moment as I consume this one specific thing? Am I doing the right? Am I doing the right thing? The thing that's best for the planet, et cetera. I know that me in college or high school, if someone was like, no pizza for you, but broccoli and carrots would think, well, what's going on here? Me today would be like, this is awesome. Because now I can eat as much as I want without having to think twice about it. And I love the flavor of these things. And now I'm also thinking, because I got to start my campaign for my book launch. And I'm thinking, I got to make sure people know from the start, they're not getting pizza. They're getting vegetables and fruit. And But I got again, I got to involve them in the process from the beginning and say, look, if you're in this and thinking, we should really promote other people doing stuff, but it doesn't matter if we do it ourselves. No way. That's not going to fly. I'm hardcore. I'm not hardcore. See, I'm just like everybody else. I still have to balance everything. But my balance is, I've learned much more about how sustainability works out. Like to me, when I eat an apple, looking down at my apples over here, they are, I, I cannot believe how sweet they taste. They didn't change. I did. The longer I go without having tasted refined sugar, I can't believe, like broccoli to me tastes sweeter than apples used to. I, I'm shocked. I'm like, I can't believe. But I, yeah, everyone else is a couple of years away from that because it takes so long, a month, and this big recovery, the taste buds. But I'm surprised at how it keeps going. I, ca I can't believe how delicious this stuff tastes. Your campaign sounds like a campaign that I would, in another time frame, would sound like something I would love to, to jump on board with. I'm sure we'll be in touch, yeah, of, of both of our campaigns. Let's Any big highlights of your campaign before we wrap up? Yeah, we're just chugging away here. The primary is right around the corner on June 7th. Ballots are already in the mail right now. Folks can, it's voting time. And so just really encouraging everyone to, as soon as they get their ballot, to send them in. 
we've been doing pretty well in the campaign. We've outraised my Republican opponent in the first quarter, which was really great. I think that their team is feeling a little bit nervous. He actually flew, or should I say, flew cross countries in DC, but he uh, has a house in Big Bear. And so we actually drove many hours to come be at this candidate forum. And I think that's a really good sign because we weren't expecting to have uh, kind of an interaction like that until September, October. And so the fact that he's out here this early is, I think, a good sign for us. So for us, it's just chugging away. It's knocking doors, it's making phone calls, and it's doing that really rigorous campaign work that's necessary in order to be successful. I know it's what you signed up for in principle. Is it when it's actually happening? Is it, does it, I go out and I pick up litter every day and half the time I feel like, oh, what's the point? I feel like giving up. And half the time I feel like I got to work harder. And one of the big skills I developed is how to go from one to the other, how to go from discouraged to encouraged. What's the emotional feeling when you're actually in it? Is it discouraging or is it encouraging? Is it exciting? I think it's just, it's, for me, it's heads down. And I've been an organizer involved in different campaigns as a volunteer in one capacity or another since 2008 on the Obama campaign. That was the, the first time I was ever a volunteer knocking doors, going to Virginia and being involved in the whole political process. And I just, I organize whenever I feel apathetic, I just organize, I go out and knock doors and I just remind myself like, this is the work and I stay dedicated to it. And on a day that I'm feeling like, oh, the world is going to end and what's going on. I just, I go, I take a nap, I go to sleep, I get a good night's sleep. And the next morning I'm back fighting the good fight. Thinking about being in Capitol Hill. Will you come back on the podcast when you're in DC? Yes. Yes, I will. That I promise you. Awesome. I look forward to it. And anything else to wrap up? Uh, anything else I didn't think to ask before wrapping up? No, I think that that's, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm glad that I came back on. I'm glad that I took the challenge. And I'm glad that I, I feel like my consciousness has elevated a little bit through our conversations. And I, I really enjoy speaking with you. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Honored and flattered. And that's part of the mission of the podcast is to help leaders lead in ways that they probably hadn't thought of before. And I hope to hear how it keeps evolving as your campaign keeps going. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.